0: Hello, welcome to Romaniacs. It's the week before the election campaign begins in earnest and already we're knee-deep in filth. (laughs) Andrew Bridgen praising Mogg for being cleverer than the people who died in a fire. Boris Johnson reheating a 10-year-old joke about Labour treating high earners like Stalin treated the kulaks. The Tories blatantly doctoring footage to make Keir Starmer look bad. The Secretary of State for Wales resigning after a former aide sabotaged a rape trial. And Philip Hammond stepping down because why wouldn't he? What a campaign this will be. And we're fresh from our first gig in Manchester. Thank you to everyone who came out for a big afternoon at the Lowry. And a special thanks to Grinder user Frank Mansoir, <laughs> who changed his name on the app after my Freudian slip during the show. I'm Dorian Linsky. We've got a guest-free week this week, so let's say hello to our regulars. Alex Andreu is the Twitter warrior known as Sturdy Alex and now occasional pilot of the Best for Britain Twitter account. <laughs> Alex, how are you, gruff and manly? <laughs> Um, the government decided to not publish the report into potential Russian interference in the British democracy and it might not see the light of day until after the election. Um, what's their justification for this? Uh, basically,
1: there's a, a normal period that it takes to release these things and that has a low end and a high end and they're just going with a high end and saying, well, these things sometimes take weeks um, when in fact... They usually take just a few days. Um, there was a there was a discussion, an interesting exchange in the House of Lords um, yesterday. Lord Anderson, who's the UK's um, former independent reviewer of terrorism legislation, um, used an urgent question in the House of Lords to ask about it, and he said basically, "There's no excuse for not releasing it." Uh, all the, it's already been vetted for confidential information by um, by the Secret Service. And they don't have to respond at the same time as they publish it. They usually respond 60 days later. So he basically knocked away all their excuses.
0: Does it make it a bit harder, just the knowledge of this report for the Tories to go after Corbyn on security and specifically uh, alleged sympathies with Russia? <laughs> I I mean, everyone seems not to not like sure, Russia. I'm, I'm not
1: sure they could anyway, if I'm honest. I mean, looking at the personnel at the moment, uh, Dominic Raab is foreign secretary, a man who didn't know how close France was until a few months ago. And Priti Patel is Home Secretary, who was sacked uh, last year for having secret meetings with... Israeli
2: businesses
3: yeah. off the clock. So And Gavin Williamson yeah. was fired for leaking from the National Security Council. Now what's his job? He's in charge of educating our children. Yeah. So I mean Open the people Dim- with highest clearance, mm. they really don't have a good record.
2: Open Democracy have just published a very good article on conservative party donations from Russians, uh that went up on their website yesterday and is really worth a read. Mm.
0: Uh, That's Naomi Smith, CEO of Best for Britain. We're going to be talking about her diverting week of explaining her tactical voting advice in a lot of detail later. Naomi, um, the theory that Mogg's atrocious comments about Grenfell were a dead cat to distract from the Russia (laughs) issue was bouncing around. Um, But is that a sort of Louise Mensch level centrist conspiracy theory that allows people to feel very clever? Do, Do you wish people had never heard of the phrase dead cat?
2: Yeah, and I wrote a whole article about it. So it's probably in no small part my fault. Um, uh, I don't. I, I do think they do the dead cat strategy. I don't think this was a purposeful one at all. I just think he's a horrific person with <laughs> horrific views, uh, as is Andrew Bridgen.
1: <laughs> I mean, he couldn't possibly couldn't. be. He couldn't possibly be deliberate because the whole point of a dead cat strategy is to take focus away from something that can hurt you mm. onto something s- sensational Indeed. but less. Um, offensive. Indeed. And the Russia report has no cut through with a with a voter out there. It's an esoteric subject. This thing with Reese
0: Mogg has cut through. Yeah. This thing is. Hurting. Do you think that this former aide sabotaged a rape trial some time ago, as a cunning, dead cat, <laughs> ready to spring from the dead cat? <laughs> <laughs> Um, Naomi, a lot of listeners will have received emails from Parliament this week saying all petitions to the last Parliament are now suspended and won't be coming back. That includes the massive petitions to revoke Article 50, the biggest in history, and against prorogation. Would they have achieved anything even without suspension? Does this mean much, the fact that they No, not most of up? them
2: have already triggered the threshold that would trigger the debate in, in Parliament, and, and most of them have. The one thing that is interesting is that the um, there was one petition that said we petition the government to send everybody who has ever signed a government petition a reminder to register to vote and they did do that yesterday when they emailed people saying oh, that's brilliant. So actually that's that was a that. pretty damn big win because turnout is going to be so, so crucial yeah. given that it's a winter election
0: Returning this week is Ben Stewart of Guerrilla Campaigners Led by Donkeys, a Brexit accountability project coming to a billboard near you. The new book, Led by Donkeys How Four Friends with a Ladder Took on Brexit, is out now. Hi, Ben. Hey. Um, so in Manchester, I guess Rob Ford managed to plug not one, not two, but three of his books. <laughs> <laughs> <So it's only laughs> what a pro. We could only stand. Um, so it's only fair to let you plug one. Uh, t- tell us about the Led by Donkeys book.
3: Um, well, about six weeks into our guerrilla poster campaign when we'd been up on ladders late at night putting up these examples of hypocrisy, Uh, a guy from Atlantic Books DM'd us and said, would you like to write a book about it? And I foolishly immediately said yes, because who wouldn't want to write a book about what you were doing? I'm forgetting momentarily that my partner was eight and a half months pregnant Uh -uh. and not quite sure when I would write the damn thing. Um, As it was, (laughs) once the baby um, was born, um, there were many sleepless (laughs) nights in which I sat there with one hand bashing out the Story of led by donkeys. Fortunately, the publishers said they only wanted thirty thousand words, which was good news. And we put a damn load of pictures in there. <laughs> and, um, it, and then they said we're going to release it on October the thirty first, and we got very excited about that until realizing there was a very good chance that we were going to go out on that date. And could you really sell a book about the amazing success of this Brexit campaign, where we'd recently Brexited? But as it was, we're still in. The book's done really well. We're um, we're hoping it might be in the Sunday Times bestsellers on, um, on Sunday. It's shifted a fair few copies, and uh, people seem to like it. I don't know. It's I... brilliant. Oh, I love really? it. Yeah. Oh, cheers, mate.
2: Our whole office have been poring over it. Yeah, we love it. Oh, that's Everyone lovely. should go and buy it.
3: Everyone should, go and buy it. Everyone should go and buy it, yeah. Good
0: plug-in, guys. Um, led by donkeys, I've had to register with the Electoral Commission. Um, why, why
3: is that? And is that going to restrict what you can do? It might a little bit, actually. And I don't know the extent to which your listeners would have heard of the Lobbying Act, but if I can briefly explain, in 2014, the coalition government passed a piece of legislation called the Lobbying Act that did absolutely nothing to stop genuine, pernicious lobbying, but did a lot to stop progressive campaign groups. And it was said that Nick Clegg was a supporter of this legislation because he was worried about the NUS going after him in the, in the coming 2015 election. Now, what it means is that there is a spending limit of about £390,000, but crucially, that applies for the year running up to that election so if you were out campaigning on I don't know, housing safety in tower blocks in West London in the run up to the 2017 election for the year before that and then the election was called you would suddenly find that you have to go back and account for a whole lot of your spending and that you might have breached electoral spending limits without even knowing it now a couple of crucial things If you're a fake think tank that knocks up dodgy statistics that goes on the front of the Telegraph to do down the Labour manifesto... Don't know who
2: you're talking about.
3: And you spend a hell of a lot of time on Question Time and doing the Sky Papers review, you are not affected by this. If you are a once great newspaper that sold its soul and embraced the dark heart of populism for, 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 for the desire to shill for your erstwhile columnists... Who could that one be? Who could mm. that be? Um, okay. You are, at that point, a naked political campaigning organisation, but you are not affected by the lobbying act. If you're Pretty Patel and you work for Shandwick's as... Um, A lobbyist for British American Tobacco to try to persuade the government to not regulate cigarettes. You are not affected by the Lobbying Act, but if your four mates that go up a ladder putting examples of hypocrisy up, calling out Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg, you are affected by the Lobbying Act. So we have spending limits that we have to. Is it the ladder? Was that the mistake? The ladder was ninety quid, so we've got (laughs) 389920 quid to go. But we've spent a few quid on this campaign, you know. And um, you know, I, I, I just reiterate. If you're the Telegraph, you're not affected by this at all. If you're a union or a safe housing campaigner, then you are.
0: On this week's show, we'll be looking at the general election campaigns, plus Best of Britain and the battle over tactical voting. But first, a few reminders from Naomi.
2: It's the most wonderful time of the year, apart from an unexpected Brexit extension. And we are pleased to announce All I Want for Christmas is EU, our last live show of 2019. It's happening on Monday 2nd of December at the Leicester Square Theatre in London's glittering theatre district. And it's a special show with eight of our regulars appearing on stage in a gala, two-part festive spectacular. Get ready for A Very Romaniac's Christmas featuring me, pantomime dames, Dorian and Alex, plus Ingrid <laughs> Oliver, Rose Taylor, principal boy Ian Dunt, producer Andrew as Tiny Tim, and a special appearance from Nina Schick, who's been away from the show for far, far, far too long. Tickets are on sale now and going like hot mince pies. Get yours at leicestersquaretheatre.com. Our Patreon backers got a head start with an early bird ticket alert and a discount, so maybe it's time you signed up to back Romaniacs as well. From as little as $2 a month, yes, it's in American for some reason, you'll get the podcast early, plus mugs, T-shirts and extra content. And of course, a chance at the best seats in the house. Search Romaniacs Patreon to find out more, and it's leicestersquaretheatre.com for tickets to our London show on Monday the 2nd of December. Make our wish come true. All we want for Christmas is you.
0: Thanks, Naomi. General election week one has felt like a saloon bar brawl in an old western. Someone swings a punch and everyone jumps up, starts hitting each other over the head with chairs. We started out with Farage attacking Mogg at his campaign launch with all the Brexit party candidates, where there were boos at the very mention of Mogg's name. Farage has accused him of conceited arrogance for suggesting the Brexit party should stand aside. Mog conceited and arrogant. Say it ain't so. <laughs> um Ben, is this uh is this good news for us, the fight over who wants the hardest Brexit? You know, cannibalizing each other's votes, making the whole thing look a bit
3: ugly. I think that cannibalising of each other's votes is good for us. Um, I don't think the danger lies for Johnson in both of them claiming they have the hardest Brexit. I don't think that's Johnson's message in this campaign. His message isn't that he has the granite hard Brexit because that would turn off Lib Dem voters Mm. or potential Lib Dem voters from, from the Tory Remainer community that he needs to hang on to. His message is get Brexit done. And the danger for Johnson is Farage saying that this doesn't get Brexit done, that this really isn't Brexit. Um, Alex, in Manchester,
0: Rob Ford was saying that in 2017, uh, Labour was hoping that UKIP would split the right, and it didn't work out like that because it became a big two election. Uh, but this time, Rob thinks the Brexit Party really might. Uh, do, you think, do you think it will be different? Farage is obviously hoping it. Will. I mean, it, it will be different. There's no doubt it will be different because UKIP under Paul
1: Nuttall is not the same proposition. Was that as like seven leaders someone ago? Under Ni- <laughs> Nigel, <At least>. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, it was never UKIP that had the potential of splitting the Tory vote. It was Nigel Farage that had the potential to split the Tory vote personally mm. because he has cast himself as the arbiter of what is real Brexit in this. And the really hardcore Brexiters look to him to tell them mm. is this Brexit or is it not? Mm. So yes, absolutely he has the potential. Whether he does it
0: or not, I don't know. Um, Farage isn't running because who needs to wit- lose like <laughs> a, what, a ninth time? Eighth. Eighth uh, eight. yeah. Oh, it would only be eight. Sorry, Sorry Nigel. Um, <laughs> Naomi, you, you have the data. Um, is there anywhere that you think there is a good chance that the Brexit party could actually win seats?
2: On our current uh, data, which we'll doubt let's talk about a bit more later um no but our previous one showed that they could so the the polls are very very volatile at the moment oh, where? And i think what i think that what's showing us is that anything is yet still possible yeah. um if i were him and i wanted to run and get elected, i would stand in thurrock
3: great place thurrock it's interesting though what what does farage actually want you know, I mean, it's the weird psychodrama going on here, isn't there? Because, you know, does he even want Brexit? No. Exactly. I find it really, really fascinating to observe Farage at this moment. I thought that when the Johnson deal came through and he went on TV, and it was, you know, he looked... Diminished. He
2: did. He did. You're he looked right.
3: diminished. You mm. know, if it, it, you know, if there was a political version of the Philip Pullman books, his demon went from being a sort of tiger to a little pussycat. He mm. was just the fire had gone out of him. Mm. Now, subsequently, he's managed to find his mojo again. But there's a really interesting thing going on at the moment with the bad boys of Brexit falling out. So, mm. Aaron Banks is now trolling Richard Tice on Twitter, and of course. Banks wants Brexit to be done because he's out of the campaign now since yeah. the the controversy over the russian funding. So Banks's legacy is to get Brexit done mm. so that he can tell, you know, people future generations that he was the person that got it done. He and you know you get the feeling that he doesn't he's his narcissism and in his ego doesn't necessarily require him to be a yeah. campaigner for the. Rest well, what of you
0: life. have with the, Nigel does. What you have with the populist right, though, is that a lot of people who kind of uh, sort of present as fanatics mm-hmm. are actually narcissistic mm-hmm. grifters, mm-hmm. and obviously being in a grifter often gets in the way of what fanatic would want.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, s- yeah. Sorry, if I can, Alex Phillips, their MEP, was on TV on Sunday, um, and. It was interesting. She was saying, no, you know, our raison d'etre is not uh, Brexit, therefore there is a reason for us to be around in order to hold Boris Johnson's feet to the fire. So, now, so, you're saying,
0: so you're saying a resident electorate is not Brexit, Well, of the Brexit that, party. that
1: Brexit is not done, that there's still a way to go, and right. so there's okay. still a job for them to do in holding Johnson's feet to the fire. Now, Alex Phillips left UKIP in 2016 and joined the Conservatives under Theresa May, um, and she wrote a very clear-eyed article at the time in The Guardian explaining exactly how UKIP basically had fulfilled its purpose and Mm. its only hope was now
2: to pray for a
1: botched Brexit. Mm. And she's in exactly that position now. You know, she should talk to her former self from three years ago because Mm. what she was saying then is absolutely true. Brexit Party's only hope is to present what Johnson is offering as a botched Brexit. Mm. Otherwise they all lose their salary, basically.
2: I I would also agree with, with... Ben on the raison d'etre of of the Brexit party point and and Nigel looking diminished and what next for him? Does he actually really want Brexit over? And my concern has always been that once Brexit is over one way or another, and even if it means we do Brexit, then they will then turn their attentions to something even more sinister than the EU. And then it becomes... Foreigners and then foreigners who are not white, exactly, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and all of that. And I think you know that's that's why so many of us feel so passionately about what we're campaigning for, and why we're not going to bloody well give up. And it's not about meeting people halfway, because that's the thin end of the wedge to something so much more pernicious.
0: No, but if Brexit gets done, the populist right just go away. Of course, forever. I've read, and I've that's read, it, yeah. I've read very sensible mm. articles. Yeah, that's, that's saying this. worked. <laughs> give them what they want, and they'll go away. <laughs> Um, Meanwhile, Donald Trump, who is supposed to be Boris Johnson's best and only friend, decided that this was the week to say Johnson's Brexit deal would stop trade between the UK and US. Um, Now, Trump is always several steps ahead, Alex. (laughs) Of what? Who who can fathom the strategic labyrinth of his brain? Um, Why would he say that now, apart from sheer animal whim? Um, Because he might have a point
1: um, in that... I think his worry is that Boris Johnson's strategy in trying to get a big majority, as there was a suspicion when Theresa May tried it in 2017, that his aim is not to sideline moderates in order to pursue a harder Brexit, but to sideline the extreme right in his party in mm-hmm. order to pursue a softer Brexit. Mm-hmm. And You know, looking at Johnson's record, Mm. that would make sense to me. So I think that's the worry at the moment.
2: Yeah, and uh, uh, we touched on it earlier about him needing... He needs to keep those Tory Remainers who are very worried about putting Jeremy Corbyn in number 10. So that's who he now needs to appeal to and he simply can't if it's totally hardest mm. of hard Brexit.
1: Or is that a dead cat? Is, that a, is it a de- is it like a <laughs> Russian a dead cat where you open it and there's a smaller <laughs> dead cat inside <laughs> it?
0: Um, I saw an American journalist recently point out that she constantly has to explain to Americans that the Trump base and the Leave base are not the same, mm. and that Trump is actually really unpopular in, in yeah. Britain, um, so I mean Trump has said nice things about Johnson Johnson 's not always said nice things about Trump. Does it he actually help Johnson to have some distance between himself and the mad president
3: I think it does I think it does when Trump, When Trump came over a few months ago, we projected onto Big Ben the footage of Boris Johnson excoriating Trump. Yeah. Um, and saying, I would only like to show him around London to show him just how unpopular he is. When Trump comes over on December the third for the NATO conference, we wouldn't project that footage because I think it helps Johnson. You know, and really, we want we want Johnson to be. To be handcuffed to Trump, mm. you know, um, and 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 in particular, of course, there's um, there's the issue of the NHS and Trump saying that the NHS is absolutely on the table. Now, someone has got to Trump since then and said, look, that that kind of comment is extremely unhelpful, but nonetheless, it's still out there. I think you know, I think Trump is radioactive for, for Johnson.
2: We've got um, a, a puppet, a six foot puppet of Boris, and of we, we had um, a massive Farage head as a mm. puppet master, but we could do a jo- we could do a Trump puppet master and have him dangling yeah. Boris for that. I think we, that had, we had a poster go from.
3: up in um, Uxbridge, the Johnson constituency mm. of, of Trump with Boris Johnson in, in his pocket, topic, a la Ed Miliband and Alex Salmon. I think we might mm. have to roll that one out again. Yeah. Naomi, the the idea that sort of, um, that post Brexit,
0: um, the Tories would sort of sell off the NHS to Trump is very potent. Mm. Labour's sort of pushing that. The Tories deny it. Um, what's the reality there, what is actually meant by that? I mean, are not literally going mm-hmm. to sell off the NHS to Donald Trump personally. So what what is meant by that and how much kind of uh, substance is there to the allegation?
2: Well, I think there's a lot of substance because we are a minnow. And outside the EU, we don't have a lot. So if you're trying to negotiate a trade deal with the largest economy in the world, you've got to have something to negotiate With and that is the prized asset that you know that that we just don't have a huge amount else with Mm. which to Mm. cut any kind of a decent deal. So, I think, under a a, a, you know a hard line privatization, you know, ideologically opposed to welfare state, uh, government with a large majority, absolutely we should worry about bits of the NHS being privatized not wholesale, not immediately, but ebbed away. Bit by bit, slowly, slowly, slowly.
0: If I remember rightly, in Manchester, Ian was saying that the, the real issue was, was nice and the Institute for Clinical Excellence mm-hmm. and, and sort of regulation of pharmaceuticals because that's that's the prize. Yeah. There's lots of bits of the NHS mm. that, of mm-hmm. course, American companies would have no interest in, but it's all about... Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about basically sort of changing the price
2: of drugs, of and drugs,
0: internet. and
3: then that therefore having a knock-on
2: effect mm-hmm.
0: because Britain mm-hmm. is such a big market.
3: The NHS has massive purchasing power. Yeah, uh, and pharmaceutical companies are on the record in the in, in the states in Washington saying that if there is a US UK trade deal, then they, they then they want to be able to charge the NHS a lot more money for these drugs. Now, if the NHS is paying more for its drugs, that's less that they can spend. On wards, cancer treatments, nurses. you know, um, nurses, doctors, mm-hmm. etc. Uh, uh, and if I can say, the, th- I will disagree on a slight
1: point. We're not a minnow, we're a tuna. We're a tasty tuna. If we were a minnow, we would be off the radar mm-hmm. of what US companies enough. were. But we're actually big enough to make a tasty meal, not small enough to ignore, but not big enough to fight... Um, in, a, in a shark full of tanks. That's the point.
0: A shark full of tanks?
1: Yeah. That's ta- amazing. Ta- tank
2: full of sharks. Tank, uh, you yeah. But I, also, I do, like,
0: I do I like, like a shark full of tanks. A shark full of tanks. Which <laughs> sounds like a kind of small boy inventing a super weapon. It sounds like the, sh- the new Sharknado. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it opens its mouth and <laughs> tanks fly out. Um, I'm wondering whether this is not so much a dead cat as a live cat, um, but Vote Leave's case with the Electoral Commission has finally gone to the Crown Prosecution Service. Is that going to be any kind of factor in the
3: election, or is this going to be something no, that's going to it's just bear not. fruit later? It's just—it's always been an odd story. This, like the Observer broke it, but the but the Brexit print press ignored it, and that's to be expected. The key thing with this story is whether the BBC would pick it up. And this story's got an odd spell on the BBC. Panorama were offered the story by Shamir Sani originally, and they didn't take it and it went to Channel 4 News. And then if you remember when the Electoral Commission came out and they said that they had found Vote Leave guilty, Mm. the, the Vote Leave and Matthew Elliott played the BBC like a banjo. Now, I'm not into BBC bashing, but I wasn't particularly impressed with their political editor and how she dealt with that story and gave Matthew Elliott from Vote Leave the ability to break the embargo and go 24 hours early to get his story out. And then you saw what happened on Question Time the other day with Fiona Bruce getting it, mm. getting it wrong. It's like, it's one of those stories that the BBC just don't go near and therefore I just don't think people are going to hear about it at all. I mean, if charges are bought, then then maybe then, but charges aren't going to be bought in the next five weeks. So I just maybe. don't think it's going to be a factor in the election.
2: I agree. And even even when... You know, it has had some media spotlight, and there has been more scrutiny. And you know, at the height of um, a lot of the the work that Carol Cadwallader and others were doing at shining light on it, it wasn't penetrating beyond the chattering class. I mean, at in all.
1: many ways, like the Russia report. Um, the stench of impropriety of it having gone to the CPS but not having mm. been decided on yet is something that can create a, mm-hmm. a bad um, vibe around the election.
2: Yeah, um, but, but broadly voters just assume a plague on all your houses. Yeah. You're all guilty. Public trust in politicians and the political class is uh, couldn't be lower. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, yeah, we, we we think they probably are guilty, but the other side just weren't caught and they're oh, probably so just depressing. as good
3: things. It's not going to be things like that that break through in this election. Those aren't the banana skins. It's going to be, forgive me for quoting Donald Rumsfeld, but it's the unknown unknowns. Who knew that Jacob Rees-Mogg would go on the radio and say because he was eaten educated, he was smart enough to get out of Grenfell? Who knew that Andrew Bridging would then go on the radio and compound that? Those are the kind of banana skins that really are going to affect Johnson and the interesting thing will be, will Johnson make any Mm. of those slips as well? He's done a very good job for 20 years of kind of applying the have I got news for you strategy where he protects himself from damage from these kind of of faux pas and I'm wondering whether now he's Prime Minister and now we're in an election, whether that kind of odd kind of protective force Mm. around him is going to dissipate We'll find out soon enough. You know, I wonder if he had a zip-wire moment now, whether it wouldn't be catastrophic for him, but I don't know. You know, I can't remember, but in, in, in Harry Potter, where Drake
0: and Malthway has those two lunks that follow oh, yeah. him around there, mm-hmm. that's Andrew Bridgen.
2: <laughs> isn't it? Just,
0: just kind of, like, dazzled by the aristocratic charms of Mog and just going, he's just, he's just better than the likes of us and that's why he
1: lead <laughs> oh, us. And none of them have a neck. <laughs> like Bridget, Francois, you look at any of them, yeah. they don't have necks. I'd be quite upset
0: if I didn't have a neck. <laughs> <laughs> They're like Tweedledum and Tweedledeers. <laughs> Thick Tories. Um, finally, Johnson, Corbyn, and Swinson have all been invited to a debate on Sky Use later this month, but only Johnson and Corbyn have been invited to a head to head debate on ITV. Swinson says her party will start legal action against ITV if she isn't included. Is that. Is that going to get anywhere? Like, how, how strong is her point?
1: It's a win-win for Swinson. So, um, y- you know, if she manages to get into the debate, she got into the debate. If she doesn't, then it looks as if the the
0: pale, male, stale guys are excluding her. Ooh, so, yeah. What's the justification for not having her, considering that we all remember I agree with Nick mm. in 2010? Well, I
2: suppose that in 2010 thanks to charles kennedy nick had 63 mp's of he lost some in in 2010 um whereas uh joe has acquired um the the dozen or so that were elected in 2017 plus the defectors and is still only at 20 so i suppose it might just be an arithmetical thing but if you look at the polling it's it's well exactly it's insane.
1: and and the the bit they always use to justify in between electoral circle cycles for including Um, UKIP in the past in all these panels is to look at how they're polling at the moment. So if you look at how the Lib Dems are polling at the moment, you can't really leave them out. I mean, they're ahead of
0: Labour in some polls. And finally, what do we think the public will will make of her if she does manage to... Well, I mean, in the Sky News debate, at any rate, but possibly the ITV one, if she manages to get them to, to change course... Um, You know, she hasn't been leader for that long. I've noticed some Remainers getting very, very irate Mm. with her Mm. in recent weeks. Mm.
2: I mean, there's always the case that when the Lib Dem leader finally gets some exposure, they get a really big bounce from it. So if you remember those series of leaders' debates in 2010, the sort of the clear winner after it, the first one was Clegg, and you had all the Clegg mania headlines, Mm. and then you had this really weird effect where loads of people who hadn't watched the programme were suddenly saying, Clegg one, Clegg one, Clegg one, because that's what they were hearing from other Mm. people. Mm. So the zeitgeist kind of takes it up, and that's when you're starting from such a low awareness base which the liberal democrats usually are you get that bounce but then as those debates pre- uh, you know w- proceeded and and went through then actually he was he was falling quite far behind is, by the end the, of them is the
1: polling showing then that that's her main problem that she's just people just don't know about her uh, or enough people don't no, know no, about I mean, her no no
2: most people don't know anything about any politicians at all so yes hers oh, right. is incredibly low so she i think f- off the back of some exposure will get a big you know uh, awareness bounce hmm. um so she would get that But whether that would then be sustained throughout the rest of the campaign, I don't know. And whether it would be necessarily favourable, it remains to be seen. What really makes government work? And why do things go wrong? What's really going on in the engine room of policy? Every week in inside briefing from the Institute for Government, we look at who and what determines the way that we are governed.
0: You don't just leave a pot of money on the side of the road for businesses to pick up.
2: Three and a half years after the referendum,
3: six months after we were supposed to have left, every single option is on the table. We're obviously in
1: a very odd time where things can change in a matter of minutes.
2: You can get inside briefing from the Institute for Government every week on your favourite podcast app.
0: Let's move on to the question of tactical voting. Last week, Naomi's organisation, Best for Britain, released GetVoting.org, designed to advise voters on the best chance of getting a pro-EU MP in their area. As expected, the site almost immediately drew iron from Labour for being too Lib Dem and Lib Dems for being too Labour. So, must be doing something right. (laughs) Naomi, first things first, did you spend all this time, money and energy on a cunning plan to trick people into voting Lib Dem, even when it won't help? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, obviously not. Um, I saw on Twitter that you had. <laughs> Did you see it from Erin Jones and Paul Foster? <laughs> um, so we are recommending only in England and Wales. We're not recommending in Scotland or Northern Ireland. And of those seats, 65% of our recommendations, 375 candidates are Labour recommendations and less than half of that are Liberal Democrat recommendations so the site disproportionately helps Labour.
0: Um, can you explain why the tool was released when it was mm. before the data was ready because I think that seemed to be uh, a big problem is that people just didn't understand.
2: Yeah yeah. so this election came upon all of us really quickly and suddenly um, and if you remember the weekend before the vote, the vote was on the Tuesday night, we were beginning to hear that the SNP were backing off it, that some of the Liberal Democrat MPs were going to split and not back it. And so, you know, we're thinking of, do we have more breathing room or not? And Leave.EU launched their tactical vote site straight after the vote. And so I had to take the decision. do I Do I wait for all of the charts to be ready to upload all of the MRP result or do I go? with the recommendation alone and say that the data is following. And I took the decision to go because the first 72 hours of search engine optimization on Google are absolutely critical. And because Leave had gone, any other tactical vote state was then going to spend the next six weeks of the campaign just trying to catch up with them up the Google search rankings. And... People's Vote campaign having a horrific fortnight in total meltdown, and the Remain community was going to be left without any leadership once again, while Leave stormed ahead with their tactical vote advice. So in those first 72 hours, with people going, oh my goodness, there's a general election, who do I vote for? Who do I vote for in my seat? Or Googling, how should I vote to stop Boris Johnson? Or how do I vote to, you know, on Brexit it would have been driving so much traffic to them and it would have pushed everybody else further down once they did launch that I took the decision to go. And within, I think it was within about 48, to 60 hours, we had all of the data up there. Um, and so, yeah, regrettable. I would have obviously much preferred to have gone live with everything, but I think we had to do it.
0: Because another thing that puzzled people in those first you know, 24, 48 hours was, was, I think, when at least one of the recommendations changed. I think Bristol Northwest originally said Lib Dem and then sort of changed to Labour within... 24 hours. What was the reason for the any changes there?
2: So, to my knowledge, there weren't changes. Uh, that might have been one bug where it was just pulling through the wrong page. All of the rest of right. them, we think, are totally fine. The The uh, the one that we have changed since is Leeds Northwest. We originally said Labour there, and now we've downgraded that to choose between Labour or Lib Dem, and that's because um, the Labour MP is really quite some distance behind the Lib Dems and the MRP. But even if the Remain vote splits 50-50 between Lib Dem and Labour, there is still absolutely no chance of the Conservative or Brexit Party combined vote getting in and winning that seat so that's the same in cambridge on our mrp and it's the same Bermond, in my, my. Seats. so those are the three at the moment where we're saying remainers can choose between labour and lib dems without fear of letting a conservative in in other seats like bristol northwest uh, you you couldn't do that you you have to pick one because the Tories are so close hot in the hills
0: um now you 're talking about M- MRP, and there is this you know forty six thousand people mm-hmm. interviewed so it's a complex methodology. One of the key criticisms I kept seeing was that your data didn 't reflect the vote in two thousand and seventeen mm. so basically people were just tweeting the result from two thousand and seventeen mm. and going well you're tact but surely if tactical voting was that easy, mm. then we wouldn't need any help because mm. we could just look at what happened last time and assume that something similar will happen exactly. again is it are you are you basically sort of up against uh, a sort of quite widespread misunderstanding yep. of of how to behave and mm. how things actually might mm. have changed since the last election.
2: Yeah, and also 2017 itself was quite an odd election and it, it was one of the first we'd had where it really was a genuine two-horse race for a long, long time. Um, also, I think what what... You don't have to have GCSE maths to figure it out either. Like, MRP sounds complex, it sounds scary, but forget multilevel regression analysis. You do not need to understand that. If you accept a couple of things, if you accept that we now have a Brexit party that we did not have in 2017, Hmm. if you accept that the Lib Dems were polling about 8% for a long time and are now polling 18% on average nationally... And you accept that they haven't gone up 10% in every single seat. So I am not saying that the Liberal Democrats are now polling 10% higher in Dewsbury and and places like that. By definition, then, if their national has gone up 10%, but we know they've probably gone backwards or only a, a couple of percent up in some seats, then they must have gone up much, much, much more in other, in seats, other seats in order for that to net out at being a national 10%. If you accept that Labour have probably gone from polling around 40% down to 25% or even lower sometimes, then again, that vote has gone somewhere. So that is why the MRP will be showing something quite different to a 2017 vote share in the kinds of seats where those big changes will have happened. But it's
0: counterintuitive, I think, I suppose, for a lot of people... In somewhere like Kensington, yep. Chelsea,
2: yeah, what one of the largest Remain votes in the country. But it's going
0: they all this But for people who just go, well, Emden Code won by like the forty-five votes or something. Or something yeah, um,
2: but she overcame. She was six, seven thousand behind going into twenty-seven, and MRP was the only method that correctly called Labour winning Kensington in twenty seventeen, and MRP is now saying that that seat at the moment is going to go Liberal Democrat. It, it's very close between Liberal Democrats, Labour, and the Conservatives in that, in that kind Gima, of seat. Sam
1: isn't it, standing there?
2: For f- yes, former Conservative, now standing for the Liberal Democrats. Um, and, and we are going to update our recommendations. We will run the MRP again before polling day, and and that is the kind of seat where if Labour have a good election and mm. Jeremy Corbyn inspires lots and lots of voters in, in London, you know, a typically Labour city, you could see then a big swing back towards her in that seat and we would change our recommendation. What? So, what
0: do you think lay behind the the backlash from certain high profile journalists, stroke activists, um, and obviously the Labour Party? Mm. Um, is it just? I mean, do you think they genuinely believe that because you're associated with the Lib Dems that this is the shady motives here? Is it trying to discredit the idea of tactical voting because from if your if your priority is Labour and not stopping Brexit? Mm. You, you're not really maybe less interested in tactical voting and all you want to do is is get everyone to vote labor like what's the um
2: yeah I mean I think reason? um what we've heard you know the 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 Carrie Murphy strategy at the moment is to not run a target seat strategy so the regional campaigns directors as I understand it are sort of having to say okay 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 but then regionally they are of course going to run target seats but but the message coming from on high is Every seat is in play. We are going full throttle for every single seat. Mm. And as long as we, you know, G up Jeremy Corbyn to be the amazing campaigner that we know him to be when he wants to be, when he believes in the campaign that he's heading up then the world will listen and we can do what we did in 2017 and with an extra heave actually get a majority this time. Mm. Um, The data is not showing at the moment that in any stretch of the imagination, um, Labour can form a majority government, but with tactical voting and just 30, our data says with just 30% of Remainers voting tactically, we could end up in a situation where we have a coalition of Labour with the SNP and the Liberal Democrats and get over that 320 figure that you need to form government.
0: Alex, the Lib Dems looked very bad with this bar chart. I can't remember the constituency, an incredibly misleading... E- every constituency. Every constituency? Yeah, yeah. For, every, for these sort with of bar a bar small print it. underneath, yeah. wasn't it, that said, you know,
1: we what? we stood on a hill at sunset and tilted our head to the left. Yeah. It's like,
0: if... if la- you know, if the Labour Party just vanished, <laughs> like in The Leftovers or something, if it disappeared and it didn't exist, what would you... Right, and it still had about Labour on about, on 8%. Like, I was still vote for the party that didn't exist. And the Lib Dems were still slightly behind. Um, and then Joe Swinson, um, instead of just going, yeah, you know, somebody got overexcited, um, sort of trying to justify that on Sky News. Um, I mean, this this is like, is, is there any kind of good reasoning behind no, these kind of dodgy charts? Because no, people can tempting. see through them, right?
1: It's tempting. I can see why it's tempting, because, uh, you know... Despite the squabbles in among the broadly the progressive side of British politics, they are facing, uh, you know, a CCHQ that's actually putting out doctored fucking mm. videos of Keir Starmer and then refusing to delete the tweet. Mm. Um, so it's and then tempting. lying about the lie. Exactly. Yeah. So it's tempting to say, well, this is a war. You know, we have to fight dirty if they fight dirty. But no, no, stop it. We, the whole point is we have to behave better. Mm. That's when the whole point. When they go point.
2: low, we go high.
1: You know that is the the entire um, reason for voting. You know, for 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 that side is the fact that they represent you know slightly better
0: instincts. Um, Ben, in, when it comes to the elections, despite it, you haven't spent all your money on ladders. Um, is led by donkey's going to be taking that kind of really a tactical voting mindset is it sort of anything but the tories or are you will you are you focusing on particular would you would you back particular candidates or
3: well we're just working out what to do at the moment i mean we put absolutely everything into trying to stop brexit on october the 31st and by we i mean the remain movement of which we're a part you know and we were working crazy hours and and you know, ploughing fields and having helicopters in the air and God knows what, you know, to try to 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 stop us going out on October the 31st. And we had planned that if there was an extension, then we would all down tools for three weeks and, you know, kind of get to know our children again and, um, and hold our partners close. <laughs> Who are you? And then they called a fucking <laughs> <laughs> election. And we would kind of stare blankly at each other and, like, wiped the whiteboard clean and wrote election strategy at the top. And we're now... Filling that in. So for the people who follow us, and I should say we're so grateful for people who follow us and take an interest in our project, we're going to be quiet for a few days, might be even a couple of weeks, um, while we work out how to play this. Um, You know, I think tactical voting is going to be absolutely key in this election. And maybe, maybe we have a part to play in speaking to Remainers and urging them to vote tactically. But as well as that, you know, there's that key issue of what Labour leavers do as well. And whether mm. Labour leavers go to the Brexit party, mm. the Tory party, stay at home or stick with Labour. Mm. And, you know, we're really interested in, in working on that mm. as well.
2: I mean, from our focus group work with them and some of the polling that we've done, the lab, the average Labour leaver cares so much more about other shit than it does about Brexit. Yeah. So they care far more about austerity and cuts to the NHS and education funding and Brexit is really far down their list of priorities so um, I think it's going to be about making sure that they're incentivised to turn out for Labour and Labour get disproportionately hurt in winter elections because their vote tends to be time poor. Yeah. Whereas an older, retired, conservative voter has got all day to wait for a break in the rain to pop out to the polling station, and will do that. Whereas a time poor uh, L- Labour voter may, um, you know, may have only, only a have one of window, hours, yeah. and if it's absolutely lashing it down, then then they don't. Yeah.
3: It's only the future of the country. Don't get yeah. wet. One thing I find interesting about this election, actually, is that, I mean, look, it's early in it. You know, we were just saying early, you know, it's five weeks to go, but in Brexit dog years, it's about five years, (laughs) isn't it? It's like, you know, anything could happen. But it feels at the moment like the country's, determined to take a breather from Brexit for this election. You know, it just feels like other issues are coming to the fore in a way that Brexit didn't allow them to previously, and I do wonder what that's going to do to the coming strategy. Obviously, the People versus Parliament Brexit election is absolutely key for them to get there. Majority, and if they can't keep Brexit as the number one issue in this election, I think they're going to be in trouble. That said, you know the Vote Leave crew are back in charge. Um, I don't like them very much, but they are quite good at what they do, and we shouldn't be fooled by the quite deliciously catastrophic time they're having at the moment. They'll get their shit together, and this is going to be a big fight.
2: And loads of them will be selected as PPCs, as I understand it, for the Conservative right. Party. Like loads of Vote Leave stuff are going mm. to be parachuted in. Oh Jesus! Yeah, and um, so the one thing we have not talked about is the biggest like disinformation of last week. Which is? When I got accused of being a friend of Nick Clegg. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, can we just like you you can slag off my data all you like, but I can't stand for that. I'll get my libel lawyers onto anyone. Well, literally
0: then. the first thing you were on the show is just like Two, two impressions. One, she seems nice. Two, she really hates McClegg. <laughs> for a live dem, she really hates McClegg. And it was just, was it I'm was I'm it like evolved Politics claiming a friendly <laughs> yeah. clique? And it was just like, mate, wow. this
2: is. You're so far off the market. This is
0: why uh, you know, you're not in the Press Gazette Awards again.
1: Um, also, Ben, can okay. I say, don't worry, the ladder gags will
0: dry up eventually. <laughs> yeah. Just as the Nana Muskuri
1: ones <laughs> did for me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: just this one. Now it's time for Gone in 60 Seconds, where one of our panellists has just one earth minute to take a sledgehammer of truth to the Hornby train set of a key lever argument. This week, it's Alex's turn. Since not many people ever bother to ask an actual Greek man this question, it's the old Lexter (laughs) favourite. The way the EU treated Greece shows why we have to leave. Alex, levers obviously care very deeply about Greece. You have 60 seconds to go.
1: There are legitimate arguments regarding the appalling treatment of Greece by the EU, but they're invariably much more complicated than can be articulated by someone whose only connection to Greek politics is having once purchased a salad with feta from Waitrose. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, Grexit, which was inevitably conflated with Brexit, was not about Greece leaving the European Union, but the euro currency. Support for EU membership never actually dropped below the 70% mark, even at the height of the crisis. So a common strand among most raising this is that looking at the social media, either they had shown zero interest in Greece until they adopted this spurious argument to justify Brexit, or they were actively hostile and used to use the lie that Britain would have to pay for those lazy southern Europeans as an argument for Brexit. Fraser Nelson of The Spectator described us, and I quote, as the siesta club, the manana manana guys at the bottom. So speaking for my people, thanks, but we don't need
0: that support. That was fifty nine. Seconds of pure liquid gold. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not all podcasted out, can we recommend our partner in political podcasting On The House with former MPs, currently Lib Dem candidates, Sam Jima and Philip Lee. Each week they talk politics with friends and rivals in the place where nature intended, the pub. There's a new episode of On The House every Friday, so get it wherever you get your podcasts. Their special guest on the current edition, filling the big shoes of Ian Dunt last week, (laughs) is the great Dominic Grieve, who explains why he's defending his Beaconsfield constituency as an independent. Let's have a taster. How do you see this Parliament that's coming to an end? I mean, if you were going to sort of review it, reflect upon it, what would you say? I think the Parliament that has run since 2017 has been a very remarkable one. Individuals within it have come under colossal pressure uh, from social media, threats, anger. You look at all this, and has Parliament bent? No, I think MPs have, on the whole, tried to stand up for what they believe in. Uh, They have sought, as best they can, to reconcile loyalty to party with their own conscience. With their view that Brexit, in many cases, was going to be very damaging and a refusal to go along with it. This is exactly what representative democracy is about. So, I don't know, historians will have to judge. It's certainly been very unusual. At times it may have appeared to be chaotic, but I'm rather proud to have served in this parliament of 2017 to 2019. And that's the end of the show, which means the Brexit time capsule, the increasingly packed vault of everything we'll need or miss if we ever leave the EU. The panel rarely get a chance to contribute, normally the guests. So, Naomi, what would you like to drop in?
2: I would like to drop in somebody who probably deserves to be uh, preserved in aspic for future generations to admire lovingly and worship. Is it
0: Frank (laughs) Manswar?
2: It is the one and only, the very lovely, and I will fight Roz Taylor to the death for him, Donald Tusk. Um, I adore him. uh, And the reason for that and why I think we, we need to keep him there in the time capsule so that we can all um go back to him in the future when we need cheering up um it's because he's just got this absolutely beautiful romaniac vibe um and he he the, the, my favorite line was when he said you know people um ask me if i think it would be possible to stop brexit and i say that uh politics is the art of the impossible and then he says people say that i'm a dreamer but i can't be the only one and you know he's quoting the greatest arguably British band of all time back at us in a really beautifully pro-European way and this if that <laughs> doesn't melt your Romaniac heart This nothing.
1: is like a follow up to the Donald Tusk fan, <laughs> erotic fan fiction. I just
2: can't believe just, you, it's you it's didn't stalled. read mine out when I sent it in Donald <laughs> Tusk
1: singing Imagine <laughs> Which ones would, Was yours the
0: one with the with the, Shut uh, up, yourself <laughs> <laughs> Good luck in there, Donald. This week's foreign language clip comes in Lithuanian from
1: listener Sigita M. That
0: means Brexiters have no idea what loss of sovereignty or freedom actually means because Britain hasn't been conquered for centuries. Also, you can't win a war by yourself unless you're John Wick. <laughs> We need your foreign language clips. Record them on your phone. Send them to info at Romaniacs.com. Keep them short, concise, and away from exploding MPs.
2: <laughs>
0: and that's the end of the podcast. Thanks to Naomi, Ben, and Alex. Hyped for the next week of the general election? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> More filth. Massively. I can't believe this is day one. <laughs>
1: it's
0: extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. We'll be back next week. And remember Romaniacs Live in London on Monday, the 2nd of December. Tickets at leicestersquaretheatre.com. Now time for our theme tune Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop. A free download can be yours at ampleplay.co.uk And time to thank our latest Patreon backers
3: Hello and thanks from me to Daniel Oppenheimer Liv Stobseth brown Ewan Parry Anil Callan DD Egerton-Warburton Overton-Window Move over mate David Ball, Catherine Mary Smith, Caroline Plum and Kate Adamson.
2: And thanks from me to James Harvey, Paul Howes, Michael Bryant, Robert King, Oliver J. England, Etienne de Toney, Patrick Kane, James Dowdle, JCR and David Martin.
1: And from me to Dave and Penny Oliver, Matt, Ian Hoskins, Daniel Hull, Duncan Parkinson, Hugh Brace, Will Branfield, John Madeiras, Will and Patrick
0: Walsh. And finally, thanks from me to Nivan Brown, Michael Frederick, Simon bookner benjamin way bill duckett mike folds james kent sarah elkins Catherine fabian and cat parkins see you all next week romaniacs was presented by dorian linsky with naomi smith ben stewart and alex Andreu. audio production and scripting was by me alex reese the producer was andrew harrison romaniacs is a podmasters
1: production